Amen. Apparently, they've left a sheet of music up here for me. Fear is not my future. So if you would stand with me, I'm going to go. No, I'm just kidding. Boy, you talking about an exodus. My goodness. <laughs> Larry, we may need to turn me down. Is that too loud back there? And I say that just because I have the propensity to be loud all the time. And so, uh, yeah, what? I, what? Yeah, shocker, right? Hey, before we get started, uh, I, I did get a, a, a message from someone here at the church, and, and uh, I told them I would play this message this morning. So it's a brief message, but it's just a thank you message that was sent to us. And so uh, could you guys play that in the back there? And... Uh, Amen. 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 <laughs> what, what many of you may know and some of you may not know is that just about a week or so ago, you know, uh, that wasn't something that we were anticipating, was it, Dennis? You know, um, um, I didn't go into all the details, I don't, I don't believe, but uh, Kevin had to be resuscitated on two different occasions. His heart completely stopped after undergoing major, major surgery and then um, cutting an artery. He nearly bled to death. I think they had actually had to uh, give him around 32 units of blood and plasma and platelets and so forth. And so uh, there was a moment, there was a time during that period where his life was teetering between the temporal and the eternal. And you guys were praying, man, and you guys were just pouring your hearts out for him and... uh, like he said, and I don't want to cover his words, uh, God's good. God's good. And uh, we'll just leave it at that this morning. Amen? Amen. Bless the Lord. Hey, we are in Exodus, and uh, we are continuing our, our sermon series in the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 20. And uh, believe it or not, I know some of you guys, uh, we got some people that are from out of town this morning, and, and probably, you know, they, they jumped in here, and they're probably thinking, uh, uh, it's, I, I, I didn't come looking for the Ten Commandments kind of thing, study, right? But, uh, as you guys know, this is our 38th message in the book of Exodus, and we're just through 20, or not even through 20 chapters, and um, we are actually getting into verse 12 today, and if there is any really good news for you today, is verse 12 is what we're going to cover, just verse 12, all right? That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to look at, but to give us some context, We're going to have to step back and just read a few verses. We're going to go back to verse 1. We'll read through verse 12, and then we'll just kind of jump into verse 12, right? And uh, and this morning we're going to be talking about, and I know what you're thinking, man. What does this have to do with me? We're going to be talking about honoring parents. You know, I know it's not Father's Day, it's not Mother's Day, it's not any of those other days, but this is the day that the Lord has made, and we've gathered together to study His Word, right? And this is just where we're at. And next week, we're going to be going to the next verses. That's how we do it here at the Driven Church. We study God's Word because we want to understand who God is and allow that knowledge of who He is to affect who we are and how we conduct our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. And we're just going to read these few verses here. And we're going to park... We're going to park on verse 12, okay? And it says this. It says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Command one. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in the heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to worship them, uh, bow down to them or to worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And we expounded on that and what that actually means in the application. It says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. Now listen, at that, listen, in my mind I was thinking, every parent in there ought to just be giggling, right? I mean, every, I mean, listen, if your kid's going to listen to any podcast, I know you're thinking, this is the one I'm recording. I'm, this is on the Christmas list. It's going in the Christmas stocking. I want them to hear this. You may want to wait till the end of the sermon before recording this one and sending it out. It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Is giving you. Not may give you, or, but is giving you. God has a plan. God has a plan. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to look at this scripture. And Lord, we want to be transparent this morning. We want you to speak to us. Father, we read this through a prism sometimes that shades our perspective and alters our understanding of it, Lord. But what we want this morning is a clear view of this scripture. Where am I in this? What part do I play in this? On what end of the spectrum do I find myself? The responsibility of what parties, of parents, of children, of homes, Lord, we want to find ourselves in this scripture. We want to find ourselves being led by your word. We want to be transformed by the truth of your word. And we want it to impact us now. Now. In the world in which we live, we want your word to be alive in us. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. 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 All right, listen. We've said this as we started this whole Ten Commandments thing, as we open up into chapter 20. We've kind of broken down the commandments, right? You know, uh, there's this visual. You have this, this, this vertical response to God, which resides in the first four commandments. And then in the last six commandments, we have this uh, horizontal uh, application where the commands and the directives of God are given to men in regards to their relationship with other men. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, what we're seeing is almost this, uh, if you'll allow me to, uh, this, this visual, almost a cross, John. We see our response to God, and then we see our response to men, right? And in the first four commandments, God established a few things. He established one was that he was, he was God. And that's something that you and I have got to understand is we're not God. He is God. And he sits on the throne alone. I've said that, I've said it a hundred times. He does not share the platform of power, the throne of your heart, with anyone. He will not. The scripture clearly says right there that he's a jealous God. He's not giving ground to anyone else in your life to hover or to occupy the place that he deserves to occupy. And then the scripture also says, for us not to create an image of God or a, 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 a graven image and an idea that we would uh, uh, somehow master, control, mold uh, uh, an image of God in our own likeness and worship that. Because we do have that tendency. We do have a tendency to want to manage God. You know, if God pushes us out of our comfort zones, man, we'll reach out there and we'll squeeze God back in. We'll pull God back in. 
And God was saying in the second commandment, don't be creating an image of me that you might be able to control. And then he talks about the, the Lord's name in vain, right? We talked about that. We talked about what that meant, about emptying God of his glory and the lives that we live and how it can empty God, right? And then we got on the, the Sabbath day. And we, we talked about bringing our lives into balance, right? The scripture actually says to remember the Sabbath and that remembering of what God has done, the thing that God has established, then empowers us to respond. He says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And we talked about how remembering energizes us into action. When we think about the thing that God has done, man, it prompts us to a response, right? We, we talked about that. We talked about sometimes how you and I, we, we, need, we need to work at resting. You know, how many of you, and, and we'll move on, how many of you find that pretty difficult to do? You know what I'm talking about? Resting is exhausting for you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you, that, are you one of those people that always has a hundred things going on and it takes a great deal of energy, a great deal of force, a great deal of discipline just to stop, right? You know what I'm talking about? What God was saying was we have to master that to a degree. We have to create margins in our lives so we can kind of pull back from everything else, honor God within the context that God has established, bring a calibration to our spirit, some equilibrium and balance and understanding and clarity, and this is absolutely necessary. This isn't something that can be neglected and we maintain a clear view of God and the understanding of where he's leading us. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> so there we are, the first four commandments. And then we roll over into this commandment. Before we even touch that, let me say this to you guys to encourage you. When we can work out the issues between us and God, the issues between us and man become a lot easier to deal with. Notice the order of things. God says, get things right with me. Once things are right with me, these things are lined up. Let's then move on to these horizontal relationships. Because when our relationship with God is intact and it's strong and it's fervent and it's intense and it's healthy, then we can manage difficult relationships out there. And believe me, there are difficult relationships out there. We're going to keep this thing 100 this morning and we're going to keep it real, okay? No one, we're, this, this ain't going to be one of those Bible studies where we're going to look at things through this utopian view and just think, man, everybody's got everything going, so let's just apply this principle. There's some real stuff going on in people's lives, real relationship breaks, real heartache, real pain, and the Scripture speaks to all of those things. We can manage that as long as God is in his proper place. So if we, if we get that squared away, we can get this squared away. But if that is broken... I'm telling you what happens is everything after that suffers, suffers. You look back on your own life and you consider the moments in your life where there was a, a, maybe a faith crisis, an obedience crisis, a situation where you were not as close as you needed to be with God. And then if you can recall those moments, recall the peripheral things taking place in your life and understand the amount of suffering and heartache that was working itself out there while you were trying to work things out in here. You know what I, are you with? You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I've said it, I'll say it again. The vast majority of trauma, the vast majority of heartache that I've created in my own life, Nathan, has ran hand in hand when my heart was distant from God. I say that because I'm being clear, concise, and honest this morning. When you are broken, you will break things. You will break people. You will break relationships. So God is saying, before we even get any further, get this, this thing lined out between you and God. Now let's move forward, okay? So that's where you and I have got to start before we even get into verse 12, really. You guys know I'm recovering from a little cough. So if I get, a, if I get to hiking and coughing up here, just start praying. <laughs> just start praying. Let's look at it. Let's go right here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. 
It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I find this somewhat of an odd type of a command right off the bat. I just got to be honest with you. Because if I'm building a society of people and I'm bringing order, probably in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we don't need to be killing people first. No killing. All right? What's that? Okay, no stealing. No lying. No coveting. None none of the... But he starts with this one. He starts with this command of honoring your father and your mother. And I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you a big reason why. Because when things begin, and when we're talking about a society that God is establishing, he has brought a people out of bondage who have been in bondage over 400 years. He brings them out and he's establishing a society that's going to reflect his values, that's going to reflect his character, that's going to reflect his heart. He understands something that you and I need to understand, and that is this. When things begin to unravel in the home, things will begin to unravel in society. When things begin to break down within the context of the home, things will break down in the context of society. Billy Graham was quoted one time as saying, if if you show me a child who disrespects his parents, I'll show you a child who will never respect anyone. And so he's starting from this, 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 the, the, very, the very foundational positioning of, of, of erecting this new society, this new nation, and he starts with this idea of honoring your father and your mother. This is unique. There's something unique in this scripture when you consider it's a patriarchal community, right, and a patriarchal a society, the fact that the, the men are in what is viewed, this, this, this Abraham-type view of, uh, of these patriarchs leading everything. But you notice the scripture doesn't say, honor your father and no one else. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says to honor your father and your mother. As a matter of fact, if you go into Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3, the roles are reversed. And it's speaking of respecting. And the scripture in Leviticus 19.3 says, each of you should respect your mother and your father. So God is establishing something here right off the bat. And right off the bat what he's establishing is this. The two of them are owed, are owed equal honor and respect. Do you understand what I'm saying? The father isn't in an elevated position. The mother's not in an elevated position. The reason they're in the same position is because the two of them have primarily the same responsibilities. And the reason that they are placed in this honorable position is because they've been given an honorable charge. It would be incumbent upon the mother and the father to be the teachers and the influencers of the knowledge of God upon the generations that will follow them. This was the responsibility of the father, the responsibility of the mother to teach their children. This wasn't something that you delegated off to somebody else. Let the Sunday school teacher teach my kid about the Bible. Let Trent teach my kid about, I'll just send my kid, he'll just listen to Trent preach for an hour and 40 minutes on Sunday, on a short Sunday. Let, 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 no, 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 no. The responsibility Rest upon the father and the mother. They would be, they would be the facilitators of the knowledge of God. And in so doing, there is a command to honor them. This is an honor. This is a, a, it's a, it's a transient property that God has taken this honor and he has deposited onto this office of parenthood. Now you say, well, Trent, does that, does that mean every parent is honorable? No, it doesn't mean every parent is honorable. Every parent isn't honorable. But the, the, the position and the office, the delegation of parenthood is an honorable place. And there's an honorable call and there's an honorable expectation that God has placed on the parents. And there's an honorable response that will ultimately be generated, generated, by the parents who are sowing these seeds into their children. 
Let me say this to you. Uh, you guys know we got the daycare, right? My mother-in-law's got the daycare. I've never met a one-year-old child who, who wakes up wanting to honor mom and dad. <laughs> you know, listen, I've seen a lot of kids, man, come into that daycare. I've never seen any one, two, three-year-old kid come in and say, oh, mom and dad are so great. Matter of fact, I've seen a lot of those kids come in, and the mom and dad ain't walking the line. Those kids are just completely jacked up crazy. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen it. You've seen it. Honor isn't something that's just going to naturally spill up out of a heart that's already turned by sin against God. Honor is something that's ultimately going to have to be molded, shaped, and modeled. You know what I'm talking about? Are you listening? Are you, I just need to know. This, is, this isn't something that you're just going to catch through osmosis. They're just going to pick up naturally. This is something that must be taught, and it must be taught by the parents. It must be taught by the parents. So God establishes something here. He says, honor them. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this, regarding this responsibility of the parents, this is a scripture that you and I both know. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, beat him if he doesn't obey it. No, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He will not depart from it. Train up a child. Your responsibility, mom, dad. And let me say this to mom and dad, because you are a unit. You are a unit. I mean, you're a unit. Strong. That's the intention of God, for you to work hand in hand. Mom can't say dad. Dad can't say mom. You have got to be in lock and step on this thing. That's the way it is designed. Because your children need things from their mother. Their father can't provide. And they need things from their father. Their mother can't provide. But the two of them collectively can provide everything every child will ever need in God. Okay, let's, let's look at this. I love the word honor, right? Listen, this is a heavy responsibility to teach our kids, right? To guide our kids and whatnot. The word honor is the word kebab. It's the same word that's used in reference in Hebrew that's used in reference to the glory of God. You know what that means? It means heavy. It means weighty. It means this honor thing, you know what, do you know what the application is? When it says the honor, it's, it's basically saying don't take them lightly. What they're espousing, what they're telling, what they're imparting, this is heavy stuff. Heavy responsibility. Heavy. Now that's an, under an ideal situation. This is our responsibility as followers of Jesus. That we should be conducting ourselves in a manner that the things that we're communicating to our kids carry with it a gravity unmatched by any other knowledge that this world's going to give or grant to our children. This is the knowledge of God. That literally... The knowledge of God that can transfer a person from this temporal existence into a realm of eternity that no other knowledge can do. There is nothing like that. That's heavy. So he says honor is to consider the weighty words of a mother or a father. But let me, let me say this to you guys as I scramble through my thoughts this morning. <clears throat> regarding honoring parents, because I've witnessed this and experienced this, honor is a hard attitude, listen, that regulates our actions. That's what it is. Honor isn't an action, because you can have an action without honor. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, Jimmy, I need you to go clean your room. Okay. That's not very honorable. When we look into the scripture, when we look into Luke, we look into Luke, we see that we can have correct actions without honor, right? There's this account. Jesus is telling this parable, man, about this kid, man, who strayed away from home. The kid comes to his senses. He's eating with the pigs. He comes back home. Dad meets him halfway down the street. Man, they start celebrating. Man, they start to pull out the, 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 the plush items, 
the fatted calf, they're about to have a hoedown. They're about to get this thing going, right? That's what the scripture says. And then what happens in the midst of all that? Oh, there arise this expression of this honorable son who never left. And the scripture says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, What's going on here? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. You know what he's saying? I've done honorable things, but his heart exposes that honor's not present. How does it expose honor's not present? The very way in which he views his expression of gratitude towards his father. He looks at his dad and he says, you've enslaved me. That's what he's saying to him. He's literally saying, my actions of servanthood, of service to you, to me and in my heart has been an act of slavery and bondage. So honor isn't just something we're doing, it's something we're being. It flows from in here, from the, from the inner register. Honor your father and your mother. I'll read this several times today. So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. <clears throat> Let me say this, and we're, just, we're keeping it real. We're keeping it real. Honor is something that is taught through demonstration. You know what I'm talking about? The heavy responsibilities upon the parent to impart what honor really is. How do you impart what honor really is? You become, the, this command is literally the bridge between God's society and God's, and, and, and God's heart and, and, and this responsibility rests upon the parents. And, and so in this moment, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're told to uh, impart because they're not going to learn it in their natural selves. So the only way that these children will learn and understand what honor is is if it's demonstrated. And listen, listen, a husband who dishonors his wife will raise children who dishonor their mother. It is taught. A wife who dishonors her husband will raise children who dishonor their father. There's a culpable aspect to the scripture in the context of this society and culture. And the culpable aspect of it is we as parents, followers of God, should be honorable people by which our children can connect in which to express honor, rightfully so, back to us. I remember Tony Evans saying one time, I think it was in the Kingdom Man study, Jeff, in the Kingdom Man study. He said, everything that's taking place in this society, everything that's taking place in our country is a direct reflection upon what's taking place within our homes and the breakdown of honor and such and things that are within our home. He said, you and I, we typically go to the, 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 the voting booth and, and we want to change the White House, right? We want to change the White House. And I got to bite my tongue. <laughs> Wait. Oh. <clears throat> All right. Listen. But the reality is change that affects our culture and change that affects our country, our state, and all these things happens at the lowest level, the, 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 the least common denominator, the, the home. 
For example, if you want to change your country, you have to change your state. Your state, you have to change your cities. Your cities, you have to change your communities. Your communities, you have to change your churches. Your churches, you have to change your families. Your families, you have to change your marriages. Your marriages, you have to change yourself in God. That is the common denial. It literally streams all the way back down. All the way back down. And so it is, it is our responsibility at the simplest of levels as parents to initiate, to initiate this principle, these concepts. Honor. It is upon us to do that. And listen, I, I want you to get this. This is so, so important. For this thing to be lived out and to be effective, it cannot be, and I need you to hear me, it cannot be anything other than Jesus-centric homes. Do you understand what I mean by that? I'm talking about Jesus being the center. We cannot be a parent-centric home demanding honor from our kids. You know what parent-centric homes end up doing? Parent-centric homes? You know what they end up doing? I'll tell you what they end up doing. They end up leading to tyrannical behavior where the absence of love isn't accompanying this one that is needed. Because you end up with a parent who looks at a child and says, you do it just because I said to do it. There is, period, no matter what. There is no love. There is no, there is no understanding. There is no teaching taking place. And what ends up happening under the auspice of discipline, uh, under the auspice of discipline, what ends up taking place is what we call punishment. With never an intent to actually, to actually create an understanding of what's taking place. Now, I'm not asking you, and I'm not telling you you need to communicate with your three-year-old kid on a three-year-old level. There's going to be times that your children must just understand things. But the posture and the attitude of your heart isn't one that looks at your children and just exhausts them and exasperates them. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 6 says? Literally says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. You know what? It means to anger them, to, to get them to boil over. To pride them. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training, training and instruction of the Lord. Do you get that? Do you get that? He's basically said instead, or the option being, instead of exasperation, training and instruction. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Parent-centric homes lose sight of God's influence on the home and God's the ultimate caretaker. Every man in here needs to understand that you have been appointed by God to care for your family, to provide for your family, to protect your family, but ultimately God is even over you. At no point can you, can you go down a road where you abandon God's authority over your own life. And then you begin to relegate uncontrolled, unbridled, restrictions and constraints that aren't based in God's Word to the extent that your children can never succeed. And they're exasperated at every turn because they've been identified as failures, shortcomers, never measuring up. Because you do not lead out of mercy and you do not lead out of grace, and you do not lead out of love. And then there's the child-centric home, which is probably the most evident that you'll see today. The child-centric home, which leads to chaos and the undermining of the very fabric of a healthy home, where a mother or a father thinks that the, the happiness of their child should be of paramount importance. <clears throat> the happiness of the child supersedes even what is healthy for the family. 
A parent who will go out uh, to, to, uh, to garner a return for their children that should never be desired. To the point that the home is compromised. I've seen families compromise themselves financially because the child wanted something the family had no business even entertaining purchasing. But because the child wanted it, the father and the mother lost all reason and all, all connection to reality and went into a place that was devastating to them. Because Jim Joe next door has it. Okay, so I don't have someone turn me into CPS. Uh, <clears throat> Trent, what are you talking about our role as parents regarding our children and discipline? Let me read a scripture to you. And then I want to give you a little bit of insight. Proverbs 13, 24. Anybody got that? Anybody? Well, let me start it off with these few words and you tell me if you're with me. Whoever spares the rod... Hates the child. And you're like, oh, no, there goes Trent. He done went into beating kids. He done went crazy. Trent done went in. He's going to be up there. He's handing out switches. Only if you ask. Listen, listen. He says, listen to this. Whoever spares the rod hates, hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful, careful. You get that? You with me? To discipline them. The, the word rod, Shabbat, you know what that word means in the Hebrew? It means dart or spear. You know what that, you know what, the, you know what it's saying? When it talks about sparing, you know what it's saying? Aim your children. They're not going to hit the mark. They're not going to hit the mark by themselves. The scripture is literally pleading and beseeching you to be hands-on. I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about in guiding, aiming, directing. They can't make it. They will not make it. If your hands aren't involved and engaged in their lives, it's impossible. It's impossible. You have feral ch children becoming feral adults. Unregulated, unguarded. Self-destructive. Scripture says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is the first command with a promise in it. And we're going to be closing here sort of shortly. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul reiterates this very commandment, does he not? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Did you get that? It didn't say parents obey your children. Right? That's not what it said. It said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. You know, what, what, what did my dad tell me to rob a bank? Do I do it? No, is that in the Lord? Come on, let's get reasonable. We're not fools, right? We're not foolish. My dad wanted me to kill my neighbor. Do I kill him? If you want to go to jail, you do. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, we, we can create this utopian view of parenthood where we have these perfect parents under these perfect situations and circumstances, and then all of a sudden our response to the perfect parents is honor. That's pretty natural, isn't it? There wouldn't be a whole lot... That, that, that wouldn't even be heavy, would it? If you had perfect parents and God is saying, hey, honor your perfect parents, you're like, oh man, how can I not? They're perfect, right? But the context in which these scriptures are being given and we're some 50 days out, a lot of people believe that the, 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 the Ten Commandments were actually given around the same time of Pentecost. 
We're 50 days removed from a society of bondage. And God is saying, after the first four commandments, honor your mother and father, here are these people who have been brought out many by their parents out of a place that they've only known, where they've only uh, uh, resided as slaves, being brought out into a desert situation where suffering is probably pretty apparent. There's some hardships. They've been attacked and people have been murdered left and right. That's not a condition that the children would look at their parents and say, hey, way to go, mom and dad. You hit the nail on the head on this one. That's a wise choice. I know Jim Bob didn't really want to make it. I know he got stabbed on the backside of this journey, but your intentions are good, mom and dad. The situation that's taking place right there in that moment is very similar to some of the situations that are taking place in the lives of some of you today. Not the best case scenario. The parents that I would want to honor in some of your lives have left devastation. Not everyone in here has had a golden experience. When you recount, when you even hear these words, honoring your mother and your father, the thing that kind of wells up within you is the pain and the suffering that maybe you experienced at the neglect of a father or a mother, the absence of a father or a mother, the deficiency, the deficit, the hole in you because you felt rejected and your father or your mother abandoned you. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you're hearing this word of honoring your mother and your father and you're like, man, that grades against me. How do I do that? How do I be a, I understand Clark honoring Trent, because Trent's so good, right? He's such a good dad. Or whoever else is in there. But how do you honor a dad that's wounded you? How do you honor a dad that has hurt you? How do you honor a mother who has abandoned you, who you have suffered at her hands? Because God calls us to honor our mother and our father, even when they're unhonorable people, because it's not an honor necessarily directed at them, but through them to him. Ultimately, listen, this is regurgitated. You've heard this so many times. But I say it for the two, three, four people who are here this morning who haven't heard it. I was the youngest of 13 kids, raised by an alcoholic father. I remember. I remember the cold 78 winter, living out on Tonyville. Cold air passing through the walls, man. And I remember us having little food, if any food. And I remember my father coming home, having drunk and gambled what money he had away. And I remember at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning where we were huddled up like a bunch of pups in bed. I remember that screen door opening and I could hear the screeching of the floor and the pounding of my heart would then elevate because I knew what was coming, man. It was a matter of time before that door was being kicked into that bedroom. My mother was being dragged out. My father would be ensuing. Uh, this beating would be taking place. I remember those days when my father would walk into the house. I was five and six years old, and he would take a gun and just shoot the TV while we're sitting there watching it. I remember the times that my father would shoot upstairs while we had siblings upstairs. I remember the time that he was chasing my brother Terry up the steps and with, a, with a pitchfork, and he was chasing and I'm a kid, and I'm watching this. And my brother Terry turns around and puts a gun in his face, and everything in me says, shoot him. I remember the dysfunction of all that. I remember the heartache of all that. I remember the confusion. I remember thinking, why doesn't my dad love me like other dads love their children? I remember Jay going to the ballpark, having been rescued by a baseball coach who loved me like maybe my dad should have it. I remember going out there and seeing the other dads, John. I remember this. And then it horror striking me as I looked out to the parking lot and I saw my dad walking across the parking lot in a drunken stupor. 
this humiliation that would ensue for this eight, nine-year-old kid who was watching all this take place and all this happen. And I could feel myself, Jay, shrieking into nothing. I remember that stuff, man. I remember at 15 years old, coming into the house, and my father assaulting my mother. And I remember Jeremiah exploding, man. And I remember grabbing him and pushing him over to the sink, Daniel. And I remember pulling my fist back, and I just, I wanted to just, and I pulled it back, man, everything in me. Charlie, I caught his eye, and I had him pinned down that sink, man. And I I saw him, and he was still my dad. And I let him go, and I walked out. You know why? Because everything in me still wanted a dad. Everything in me still wanted a dad. And I'm lost. I'm undone. I have no, I don't have God in my life. I, I wouldn't recognize God if, if he had knocked on my door and introduced himself. And then you know what happened? He did knock on my door. He did knock. And I did open. And he did come in. And then he did begin to change me. But now, how do I deal with a dad who has done what he's done? I've suffered under what I've suffered. How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you honor that? How do you honor God? When God is saying to me, Trent, honor your father, honor your mother, and everything's in me, they but God, he's dirty. He hurts us. He neglects us. He's not honorable. And then you hear God say things like, I didn't ask if he was honorable. I'm asking you to honor him in obedience to me. Well, how do I honor him, God? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you guys today. Some of you are wrestling with some of these issues. Some of you got these things, these, this pain going on in here, man. And you want to know, man, how, how do I get beyond that, man? How, how, do I, how do I honor God and honor my parents when they've not been honorable? How does that happen? I'm going to tell you how. We honor them by not returning the abuse they gave us. First Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says this. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the, on the, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What did he just say to him in Exodus chapter 12? Honor your mother and father. Why? So that you might live long. You might inherit a blessing. That's what he's saying. Man, these are the same words. We honor them by praying for them that they might experience God's transforming power. Not abandoning their souls to to devastation, but continuing to intercede, understanding that God still is working something powerful to the influence and the transformation of a broken life. Yeah. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, this is what it says. And do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Listen. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The hope. We can honor them by laboring for them, praying for them, 
Let me say this to you, and I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. If you've been in a situation where you have felt yourself not just neglected, but in danger and abused, where you have suffered psychological, physical, emotional harm, let me say this to you, and I want you to understand this this morning. We honor them by not enabling their bad behavior. I ain't subscribing to that stuff anymore. I'm not taking that medicine. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 22 says this. Do not hastily, do not be hastily in the laying, in, laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself. And we honor them by setting clear boundaries. This is difficult, isn't it? It's a difficult thing, isn't it? John chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 says this. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs Jesus was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew them. You know what Jesus was saying right there? You know what was happening right there, John? He knew what was really going on, brother. He knew that the heart didn't match the words. You know what he did? He put up some boundaries. He didn't entrust himself to them. He wasn't going to let himself be laid out there to be wounded and be hurt. He understood. He understood. And Sometimes we have to do that. And it's an honorable thing. It's an honorable thing to establish boundaries, to protect the image of God in which you were created in. And last, and I know this to be true, it is fleshed out in my own life. We honor them by breaking the cycles. I have said and I have shared with Taylor. I've said and I've shared with Clark. With tears streaming down their faces. The things that I've experienced. And I look at them. And they're lost. How, Dad? Why, Dad? How could that be? You know why they're lost? It is so far removed from their reality that they can't even begin to fathom or comprehend the things that I'm sharing with them. Why? Because the cycle has been broken. I will not impart to my children shame. I will not impart to my children heartache. I will not impart to my children the things that were imparted to me, but removed by God and through his grace. The other thing that we can do to honor our parents, if that's been our situation, is to look at them through the eyes of mercy. Because Jay, when the scripture says, to him who is forgiven much, loves much, when we begin to understand the mercy of God that's been bestowed upon us to bring us into a right, right relationship with him, it then overflows in our being that allows us then to give that same mercy away. I remember, I remember, Jeremiah, I remember this like it happened. Man, I could smell the room, Jack. I remember when I was wrestling with some issues pertaining to my dad and God was doing all these things in my life, Leslie. You know, he was working this stuff out, man, and, and it was painful. And let me add this. Sometimes this journey to health and to honoring God is a painful journey. 
But I, re- I remember wrestling with some issues that I had, I had encapsulated. I, I, I controlled it. Carrie would tell you, I, I was, and this is going to be hard for you to believe, I, I'm not a loud person in the house. I'm loud in here, but I'm not. I'm, and I remember telling her, <coughs> I remember telling her, I said, uh, because I was wrestling with some junk, man, some unforgiving, some, some anger with my dad. I didn't know, man, I'd already been saved, so surely the anger's gone. No. God don't just take away anger. There's, a, there's something he's wanting to do. He's wanting to work the deeper work. He ain't, he ain't just about taking out stuff. Because what happens if it comes back? But he's wanting to teach you, teach you how to get it taken out. So when it arises again, the prince was at play that you can do it again. And I was like, Lord, I, 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 I'm really upset. This thing been lingering for you. I need it. And I told Kara, I said, Kara, I said, uh, I said, I don't want you to think I'm upset at you. Because I'd get real quiet when I just, and Carrie would say stuff like, are you okay? And I'd say, yeah. And the, th- and the thing about it was, I didn't want to promote in her an insecurity that she had done anything. Why, why, why am I going to take the pain my father deposited into me and then shift it onto her? Why would you do that? So I wanted to explain to her, hey, if I leave, I'm really wrestling. Christy, I'm wrestling with some stuff in here. So I, I, I'm just going to go down here in the bedroom. I just need to sit this thing out with God for a while. And she'll tell you this stuff happens. So I'll just go park somewhere, man. She, she's coming to the house many nights. I'm just sitting in the dark praying. In, just sitting in the dark. And... And I remember going down in that room, and I said, Lord, I, she don't deserve it. I don't know what's going on. I've asked her. And God said to me, Trent, you need to forgive your dad. You need to forgive your dad. I said, oh, but God, he's dead. <laughs> I forgive him. <laughs> you guys know the story? He said, sit, sit that chair there. And I sit that chair there at the end of my bed. I sit on that bed. Amy, and it's so real, man. And I could almost envision my dad sitting there. And Daniel, I went through everything I could think of. Everything I could think of. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And then God brought into my mind my father witnessing his mother and his sister being killed. And how that turned him down a path of self-destruction. And God said to me in that moment that he had relinquished me from, or freed me, liberated me from all this anger. I remember God saying to me, Trent, except for me, that would be you. You guys have heard me say many times that my sister said, well, Trent was younger, he was so violent, I always thought he would be a person like my dad who would beat his wife. She had said that, hadn't she? She said he was so volatile and so angry that I always thought that's who Trent would be. And she was right. And God was saying the same thing, Trent. That's you without me. And you've not merited me. I just love you. Love your father. Forgive your father. And, and so I did. And so I did. And the cycle's been broken. The cycle's been broken. Yeah. Yeah, that's 100, man. That's 100. That's real. They some Bible study where the words never leave the pages. This is real. The scripture is real. The life of the scripture is real. The transforming power is real. Second Corinthians five seventeen says this, and we're gonna close, okay? I said we honor by breaking the cycle. Listen to this scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, (laughs) the new creation has come. 
The old has gone. The new is here. Yeah. Yeah. Man, today, today would be a good day. Be a good day for the new to come. Some of you guys are wrestling with some deep stuff. Some of you guys came in this morning and you're thinking, oh, Tristan, we'll talk about this honoring parents thing. Now he doesn't got to meddling. But what about you? Man, you may have you may have been raised up, man, in the in the in the, the most idyllic scenario. Your parents may be waiting at the pearly gates. They may be working the gate. And you can't identify with anything upset. But maybe that's not you. And maybe you identify with the ugly of what I've shared this morning. That sounds a whole lot more like your experience. And this morning you're wrestling through dealing with this stuff, man. And you'd like to go out of here a little lighter. Maybe just saying to a dad you've never known, God, I forgive him for never giving me the chance to know him. A mom who a mom who laid seed of destruction in your heart that have, has, has crippled you. Even into your adulthood, you're still wrestling with those things. Maybe today is the day to honor them by just forgiving them and taking the hook out of them and the hook out of yourself. Yeah. Maybe that's your day today. Maybe that's what you need today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask Carrie to come just for a moment. Just for a moment. I'm going to ask you guys if you would stand with me. Just, Just stand with me. With your heads bowed, just for a second, man. No manipulation, man. We, we don't have, I want to give you a moment. With your heads bowed, your eyes, I want to give you a moment to consider, to ponder, to contemplate. What's God saying to you right now? Man, you've been carrying this stuff, man. If not now, When? We let this stuff go. If not now, when will you be let go? If not now, when will you be free? You say, Trent, I got some, I got some, I got some messed up stuff back here, man. And I'm afraid there's something in me, Trent, that, that terrifies me that because of this messed up stuff back here. There's some pending messed up stuff waiting for me on the other side. I'm afraid, Trent, that this messed up stuff in my, in, in my past is influencing my present. And instead of being a cycle breaker, I'm a cycle maker. And I don't want that to be so. I don't want that to be so. So that's the cry of your heart this morning. Listen, these altars are open. You can come and you can pray. You can pour your heart out to God. God hears you. And listen, man, when I, when I poured my heart out to God, I didn't need 20 people telling me what to say. I just opened my heart up. I just let it oh God. And God spoke to me. And God will speak to you. And he has spoken to you today.
He has. It's a sad thing when I see little girls and grown bodies still broken little girls. When I see little boys and grown men's bodies with their broken little boys. And I just want to embrace them in the name of Jesus. And I want to pray for God's healing over her and over him. But as much as I want to pray for that, God so desperately desires to hear from you over the matters of your own hearts, even over what I've got to say about that. So this is your moment. Yeah, this is your moment. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name.